All right, guys, you are locked on Falcons. I'm your host, Aaron Freeman. And today we are talking about the added pressure on Matt Ryan, Kyle Pitts and Arthur Smith to help fill the void left by Julio Jones. Now that he's been traded to the Tennessee Titans, you are locked on Falcons, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. So, guys, you know me. I'm Aaron Freeman. Been covering the Falcons for many years, formerly at FalFans.com, RIP. Still going strong, however, on Twitter at FalFans. And, of course, the host of this preeminent Lockdown Falcons podcast, your daily Atlanta Falcons podcast, right here on the Lockdown Podcast Network, your team every day. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about really my increased skepticism about this Falcons offense in light of losing Julio Jones and the reasons why. I am not as optimistic as I have been for the last several months about this offense's upside without a player like Julio Jones. And we'll get into exactly the reasons why that is. And we'll talk about sort of the expectations on Matt Ryan's improvement in 2021, the expectations on what Kyle Pitts, as well as other playmakers in this offense can do to sort of fill that void by Julio Jones. And of course, talk about sort of the added pressure on Arthur Smith in this new regime to have success sooner rather than later now that Julio Jones is out of the building. But before we get into that on today's episode, I do want to plug the Peacock and Williamson podcast where you can find NFL analyst Brian Peacock and former NFL scout Matt Williamson talking about and giving you that insight on every team, every game and every move from around the NFL. Check it out every weekday, the Peacock and Williamson podcast, part of the locked on podcast network. And you can subscribe to it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So before we get into the meat of today's episode, um, I, I know a lot of people will listen to this and say, Oh, Aaron's being negative. And if you've been listening to this podcast for the last five months, I've been very optimistic about the outlook of this team and particularly this team's offense heading into the season. And now that Julio is gone, you know, I've gone from very optimistic to someone that has, you know, is very skeptical. And today's episode is meant more to explain why I have become skeptical. And anybody who's been a regular listener of this podcast for several months or several years knows I don't say things just to say things. I try to be accountable for everything I say on this podcast. And you know, if you're a regular listener that I try to have reasons for everything I say, good, positive, neutral about the Falcons or football in general. And I know, again, some people will listen to today's episode and hear negativity because I'm not telling you the thing that you want to hear. What you want to hear is that, oh, losing Julio Jones is not a particularly big deal, that we're going to be just fine. And you're absolutely right. We're probably going to be just fine. But my point as we get through today's episode is being, quote unquote, just fine is not going to cut it. As one person I interacted with today on Twitter said, termed it, I think they have to be spectacular. And today's episode is really my attempt to explain why I think they have to be spectacular. But before we get into that, let's first lay that foundation by looking at some stats. Because I know there's a tendency when I start spouting stats on this podcast, people's eyes tend to glaze over. And, you know, I'm going to try in order to prevent that from happening, try to minimize the amount of numbers I'm going to throw at you. And instead, just make comparisons with player rankings and players that are a point of comparison. 
And for those of you that are more into the math side of things and, and don't glaze over, I'll see if I can try to post the exact numbers that I'm talking about on the Lockdown Falcons Twitter account on Tuesday as you guys are listening to this and you can look at the numbers yourself. But let's talk about the numbers that the Falcons had with and without Julio Jones on the field last year. And we have an eight game sample. Julio Jones missed seven full games last year in the halves of two others, giving us eight games where he was on the field, eight games where he was off the field in order to judge his Falcons offense. And let's look at Matt Ryan's production by looking at his adjusted net yards per attempt or Anya, which is arguably the best efficiency metric for a quarterback out there. And in the eight games with Julio Jones, Matt Ryan's Anya would have been the seventh best in the league over the course of the entire 2020 season and on par with what Drew Brees had 7.62 in eight games without Julio Jones, Matt Ryan's Anya was 5.40, which would have ranked 28th best in the NFL in 2020 on par with what Tua Tagovailoa did in his rookie year. So clearly you have a big disparity, top 10 quarterback versus a bottom 10 quarterback. Now, if you go back to Arthur Smith's first year as an offensive coordinator in Tennessee in 2019 and look at Marcus Mariota's production in the first five games before he got benched in week six and look at his Anya and then compare that to the previous year when Matt LaFleur was calling plays and trying to find the first five games. Although for the first month of the season, Marcus Mariota was dealing with an elbow injury. So I tried to find at least the first five games where he was reasonably healthy, which based off of the injury report started around week six. And so. If you look at Marcus Mariota's Anya in 2018 and then look at his Anya in those first five games in 2019, you would see a 17% improvement in terms of Anya efficiency going from LaFleur to Arthur Smith. So let's then assume that we can expect Matt Ryan to have a 17% improvement this year going from Dirk Cutter to Arthur Smith as a baseline just for the sake of comparison. So when you look at Matt Ryan's Anya, Overall this year, not factoring in the games, factoring in every game, not just the games where Julio was healthy, a 17% improvement would put him on par with Drew Brees once more as having the seventh best Anya in the NFL a year ago. But when you look at his production with a healthy Julio Jones on the field in a 17% improvement from that level, his Anya would be the exact same Anya that Aaron Rodgers had, which was the best in the league last year and led to him winning an MVP season. If you apply that split to the games without Julio Jones, a 17% improvement would put Matt Ryan basically on par slightly better than what Big Ben and Jared Goff were as the 21st best quarterback in the league this past year. And so really what this boils down to is that my optimism and my excitement for what this offense could be was centered on having a healthy Julio plus Arthur Smith plus whatever Kyle Pitts can add to this scenario. And to me, that ceiling was very, very high, right? Where it felt like if we're looking at, if we're applying floor and ceiling and eye level, like I do with the draft picks, right? You're looking at a floor for a healthy Julio Jones. You're looking at a top seven quarterback for Matt Ryan. His ceiling is potentially the best quarterback in the league. So his eye level, if you're splitting the difference is basically like the fourth best quarterback in the league, which is comparable to what Josh Allen was this past year. If you're looking at where Matt Ryan was without Julio Jones, his floor is the 28th best quarterback in the league. His ceiling is seven best. So his eye level splitting the difference is like 17th best, which is basically what Matt Ryan was last year when he was the 18th best quarterback in the league. And even if you say, okay, well, 28 is too low a floor. It's more like 21 where Goff and Roethlisberger were last year. Again, you're still looking at an eye level of around 14th 
an above average starting quarterback, which was what Ryan Fitzpatrick was a year ago. So for me, that's one of the reasons why I have gone from someone who was very optimistic to someone who's a lot more skeptical because to me, losing Julio Jones, not only lowers your ceiling, but it potentially lowers your floor. And all of a sudden you go from a quarterback that at least in my eyes was almost guaranteed to be a top 10 quarterback this year with Julio, with Smith, with Pitts in the lineup to a quarterback that might just be like an average to below average quarterback. That's a realistic possibility now. Now I still think Matt Ryan will probably be above average and we'll get into that later. And so again, if it sounds like I've done a complete 180 on my outlook on the season, it's because I think their margin for error has lowered considerably, but we'll, we'll get into further into these numbers and, and talk explicitly about sort of the explosive element that they're losing in Julio Jones. Uh, one of the reasons why this offense was not as productive when he was off the field last year, as it was when he was on the field last year. And we'll get into that as we continue today's Lockdown Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, of course, I got to plug the Lockdown Hawks podcast where host Brad Roland has got you covered on all things dealing with the Hawks Sixers playoff matchup. But maybe you're not a Hawks fan, but you can find a daily podcast devoted to your favorite NBA team's postseason outlook. Or if your team is in the lottery, you can check out that podcast to see what draft talk that they're getting into. And you can find them all on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So in the past, I've told you guys about some work I had to get done on my car. I had to get my brakes fixed and my taillight replaced. And when I looked at the receipt for when I took it to the shop to get it fixed, I was kicking myself because I knew as someone who has been spouting the greatness of rockauto.com on this podcast for over a year, I knew I had made a grave mistake by not going to rockauto.com because they have everything that I needed, including the brake parts, tail lamps, engine parts, motor oil, new carpet, everything I could have gotten in a few easy clicks delivered directly to my door because the rockauto.com catalog is unique. It's easy to navigate. You can quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose by brand specification and price that you prefer. And I can confirm that the prices at rockauto.com are always reliably low and the same professionals and do it yourselfers. I myself need to become a do it yourselfer in order to save more money. You can too, by going to rockauto.com right now, see all the parts available for your car or truck, right? Locked on in the, how did you hear about us box so that they know we sent you amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need rockauto.com. So bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet online gives you all the latest news, odds, and info for all your sporting needs, including the MLB, NBA, NHL, and all your UFC and MMA action. And since we're talking about the trade of Julio Jones, let's talk about what that trade has done for the Titans and Falcons 2021 odds. The Titans Super Bowl odds on bet online went from 40 to one to 25 to one, while the Falcons went in reverse going from 50 to one to 66 to one. Ryan Tannehill and Matt Ryan's MVP odds basically flipped Tannehill going from 40 to one to 25 to one Ryan going from 28 to one to 40 to one on the brighter side. Kyle Pitts is now the second favorite to win the offensive rookie of the year with 15 to two odds. And if you want to take advantage of these odds, just head over to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today at betonline.ag. Use the promo code locked on to receive a 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. That means if you deposit 200, you get hundred dollars of free money to play with, with that promo code locked on bet online, your online sports book experts. So for me, as I said earlier, 
one of the reasons why I believe Ryan's number saw such an improvement with Julio Jones on the field was the big play element that was consistently there in the Falcons offense when Julio was on the field. Last year in eight games with Julio, the Falcons had 37 20 plus yard plays in the eight games without him. That number was 28. If you extrapolate that over a full 16 games, meaning that you double those numbers with Julio, the Falcons were on pace to have 74 20 plus yard plays, which would have been the fourth best in the NFL last year without Julio Joe's 56 across 16 games, which would have been the 23rd best offense in the NFL last year. But now you say, Hey Aaron, but we added Kyle Pitts. He's going to be able to generate some of those explosive plays, right? Now let's look back at the last 20 years, looking at rookie tight ends and how many 20 plus yard plays they got in year one. And let's focus, you know, I only looked at the top 10 tight ends in terms of their most rookie, most yards receiving in their rookie season. So only focusing on those guys, the player that had generated the most 20 plus yard plays was the player that had the most yards, uh, which was Jeremy Shocker with the 894 yards he had in 2002, his rookie season. And he had 16, 20 plus yard plays. Evan Ingram was number two on the list with 722 yards during his 2017 rookie season. And he had 11, 20 plus yard plays. Rob Gronkowski was next on the list in terms of big plays with 11 as well. And he was ninth on the list with 546 yards in his rookie season in 2010. And then the only other players that had double digits in terms of big plays as as rookies were John Carlson in 2008 and Noah Fant in 2019. And so let's now assume for a second that Kyle Pitts is every bit the unicorn that myself and so many others believe he is. And he has that historic rookie season and matches and or surpasses what Shockey did 18 years ago in terms of getting those 16 big plays that you would need. Now, what's interesting about that is if he were to be able to do that, that would immediately put him on par with the elite tight ends in the NFL, right? You look at last season in terms of 20 plus yard plays, Travis Kelsey was tied for the league lead with 23, all right? Then the next tight end was Darren Waller with 16, George Kittle had eight in eight games, meaning that if he had played a full season, he could have gotten 16, right? Third place among tight ends was a three-way tie with 10 between Gronk, Gusecki, and Mark Andrews. So now in a situation, Kyle Pitts with Julio Jones being gone, Kyle Pitts is going to have to come in here and be on at just as good at generating explosive plays as the guys that are universally hailed as the three best tight ends in the league, which is Travis Kelsey, Darren Waller, and George Kittle. And that's what I mean when I say like, you don't have a margin for error now, Right. With Julio, you didn't need Pitts to come in and be sort of that historic producer. You could have had him come in and just basically be Noah Fant, and he'd be adding 10 explosive plays to your total. And with Julio and Ridley, you were basically having a floor of like 40 big plays between the two of them, right? If not 50. But let's say you get 40 from those two, you add 10 with Kyle Pitts, then Gage and Hurst give you 10 more between the two of them. You're already at 60 big plays, and then you sprinkle in a couple from Mike Davis and Cordero Patterson and Frank Darby and the Lama de Zacchaeus and whoever else. And you're pretty much reaching 70 and one of the most potent offenses in the NFL. But you remove Julio from that equation, you're removing anywhere between 16 and 25 of those big plays. And now you have to make up for it in order to break even. Now, could Ridley make up for it? Sure. He could eat into some of it, but in terms of having a massive boost to his amount of big plays. I don't think that's particularly likely because I mentioned that Travis Kelsey tied for the league lead in terms of big plays last year. 
Calvin Ridley was the other player along with Jeff- Justin Jefferson that shared that tie with the league league with 23 such big plays. Ridley had 14 in eight such games that Julio Jones missed last year. Now, if you extrapolate that to a full 16 game season and say Ridley can contain, continue producing the big plays at the same rate that he did in those eight games, he would have 28. Now, if you go back over the last five years and look at the receiver that had the most 20 plus yard plays in a, in a given season, then that number was 28. That was T.Y. Hilton in 2016. Julio Jones had 27 in that 2016 year, which is the second most. And Tyreek Hill tied him in 2018. Um, and what's interesting is that both Julio and Tyreek played in historic offenses in the years that they were able to put up those types of numbers. So, again, we're at a point in order to make up this difference, you're going to need Calvin Ridley to basically be at least based off of a five-year sample playing as better, being as explosive a receiver as we've seen in the last five years, as well as also, yeah, Kyle Pitts has to hit the ground running and have basically a historic season. Now, what's interesting, if you really go back and look at that 2016 season with the Colts, with T.Y. Hilton put up those numbers, you'll see a lot of parallels um, with that team that finished eight and eight that year. Uh, with where I think the Falcons are in 2021, but we can talk about that at a later date. So you're probably sitting there saying, okay, Aaron, okay, maybe Kyle Pitts and, and Calvin really won't alone make up the difference. But what about Russell Gage? What about Hayden Hurst? Well, last year, those two guys each had five big plays each, right? What's interesting in the games that Julio didn't play, Hayden Hurst had zero big plays. And all of his came in the five ga- in the eight games that Julio played. And Russell Gage had three in the games where Julio didn't play and two in the games that Julio did play. And what's interesting is when you look at the parallels between what the Arthur Smith offense was and the players that played similar roles as the to those two guys, Anthony Ferkser and Adam Humphreys, they each averaged about five big plays per year across the two years that they played under Arthur Smith. So you're basically making lateral moves if those guys. So you can say, okay, well, we're going to throw the ball a lot more than the Titans did. But even then you're throwing the ball, maybe let's say 30% more. You're still only talking about giving those guys an opportunity to make between the two of them, two or three more big plays. So they're not necessarily going to fill that Julio Jones size hole in your offense. Now you say, okay, what about Alama? Yes. Well, put him in the Khalif Raymond role who had four uh, big plays each in 2019 and 2020, 2010. What about Tajay Sharp? Well, we signed him. He played for the Titans. Well, he had four in 2019 in his lone year playing under Arthur Smith. So, to me, the issue is that you, it's going to be harder for you to hit on all those things. Is it possible? Absolutely. But you're dealing with a bunch of narrow bullseyes is the point I'm trying to make is you're going to have to have career highs and or historic seasons from multiple players just to make up for Julio Jones's absence. Right. And that's why I'm going to continue to talk about how I think the margin for error for this team has gotten thinner. And that puts a lot more pressure on Arthur Smith to hit all of these bullseyes. And we'll talk about why that's important for this team to be successful overall sooner rather than later as we wrap up today's Locked on Falcons podcast. But before we get there, guys, of course, I have to plug my guy, Tyler Rowland on the Locked on Titans. If you want to hear a podcast waxing poetic about how much adding a player like Julio Jones makes a difference and puts the Titans in an opportunity to win a Super Bowl, which is the polar opposite of what we're talking about on today's episode of Lockdown Falcons. By all means, check out the Lockdown Titans podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network, and you can find it on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. 
So guys, did you know that Built Bar, which is the best tasting protein bar on the market, has nine delicious flavors? Whether you're a fan of coconut almond like me because it tastes just like an almond joy, or you prefer mint brownie, cookies and cream, cherry barcia, double chocolate, peanut butter brownie, salted caramel, coconut or raspberry, there's something for everyone. Built Bars contain 100% real chocolate. They're soft and easy to chew, so they're just like a candy bar, but it's not just about the Built Bar taste. They're also very healthy as well. They're low in sugar and calories, high in protein and fiber. I like using them as low calorie meal replacement for breakfast and lunch. You can use them to give yourself that energy boost pre or post workout. As you work your way into that summer beach body, now that quarantine has been lifted, use built bars. However you want, just head over to the website at builtbar.com. Use the promo code locked 15 to get 15% off your first order. That's promo code locked 15 for 15% off at builtbar.com. This is your invitation to the intersection of versatility and design. Experience the empowering feeling of the Lexus SUVs and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Lease the 2024 RX 350 Premium All-Wheel Drive for $528 a month for 36 months with $49.99 to its signing. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Call 1-800-USA-LEXUS for important lease offer and pricing details. Not all customers will qualify. Offer in the Lexus Eastern area and it's April 1st, 2024. So again, I want to be clear here for those of you that have decided to stick around on today's episode. I'm not trying to paint this doom and gloom portrait. I don't think the Falcons are going to be bad. I don't think offensively they're going to be bad. You know, I fully expect this offense to still be one of the 10 to 12 best offenses in the NFL. But my point is, I don't think we hired Arthur Smith to basically have the 11th or 12th best offense in the NFL. I think we hired him to have the third best offense in the NFL. And and this goes back to the issue that I've talked about a bunch over this offseason about whether or not this new regime has this sort of big plan or whether they're not just kind of making it up as they go. And so if you have the 11th best offense in the NFL this year, and let's say you wind up winning seven or eight games this year, next year you're going to have to make some big decisions, right, from a financial standpoint, right? You have to restructure, extend, trade a bunch of your high-priced players, looking at those big five contracts on your roster with Matt Ryan, Jake Matthews, Calvin Ridley, Grady Jarrett, and Deion Jones. Those five players currently are, are set to combine to count $125 million against the 2022 salary cap. And we already know that the salary cap ceiling – Next year, we don't know what the the actual salary cap is going to be, but let's just assume it's, you know, best case scenario for the NFL. And it's the $208 million ceiling that they've already set for next year. So let's say, you know, at a, basically at a minimum, if that's the situation, those guys currently, those five players are going to count 60% of your salary cap as things stand today. Now, that means you're going to have to restructure. You're going to have to restructure guys. You're going to have to extend guys. You're going to have to trade guys in order to free up money. Now, I think you can do all those things with just those five contracts, and you can lower that number from 125 to 75 million, meaning that you can free up roughly $50 million in cap space next year, and that will allow you to go out there and sign your draft class without any problem, and then still be able to fill out your roster to get you know the other 15 or so guys that you need in order to get to your 53 man roster and still have like $20 million left to be very proactive in free agency, which you weren't able to do this past year and upgrade some, some key parts of your team. And because we know that the offense, or we believe that the offense will still be good. We can sit here and say, you know, well, maybe they could add a couple of more pieces and maybe explosive wide receiver signing a tight end to replace 
uh, Hayden Hurst, maybe to draft a young running back to compliment Mike Davis, maybe shore up one of the starting spots on the offensive line. And some of those moves you can do in the draft. And so you can spend the bulk of that $20 million that we're talking about trying to fix the defense. And that say, maybe you go out there and you go out there and you spend on a big time pass rusher like Chandler Jones. You go out there and get a high end number two corner. You get a high end safety, the tag team with Richie Grant. You go out there and get a splash linebacker, whatever the case may be. And all that stuff will get people excited. But the point I'm trying to get to is that becomes a much easier sales pitch to get those people excited. If you're coming off a playoff season, a winning season versus if you're coming off a losing season. Now let's say Matt Ryan goes out there and, and has a year like Phillip rivers, right? If you look at Phillip rivers Anya, he was the 11th best quarterback in the league last year. And I think Matt Ryan is more than capable, despite all my misgivings that I outlined in the first 20 minutes of this episode, Matt Ryan is still more than capable of having that type of year this upcoming season. Now, we know the Colts with Phillip Rivers this past year played very well last year. They were they won 11 games. They were the seventh seed, and they went down to the wire in the playoffs to the second seeded Buffalo Bills. Right. And I think that would be the exact type of outcome that you would want to have for the Falcons this upcoming season where you could pull that off. But the big difference between 2020 Colts and the 2021 Falcons is that the 2020 Colts had Phillip Rivers. Let's say the quarterbacks are the same in that regard, but the Colts had a top 10 rushing offense and a top 10 defense last year. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I don't expect the Falcons to have a top 10 unit in either one of those categories this year. Now, maybe in a scenario where we go out there and we, make those big splurges in free agency next off season, we might be able to say we have those units in 2022. Once we turn the cat, the page on this salary cap situation. But the point is that at 2022, at the latest, you kind of need to deliver on having those top 10 units, whether that's the running game, the defense or the passing attack. The only reason for the team to marry themselves to a 37 year old Matt Ryan by giving him a, a contract extension or restructuring his deal or whatever the case may be. However, they settle that issue next off season where Matt Ryan's going to be 37 is if they're entering 2022 feeling like this is a team that's one or two pieces away is on the cusp of winning a Super Bowl, right? The promise that we have been made with having Matt Ryan back at quarterback is that this team essentially is going to basically be what the saints were the last four years, which is a team that is consistently one of the top seeds in the NFC every single year. And is in super bowl contention as the saints have been pretty consistently a one, two or three seed for four straight years running, trying to sort of win one, you know, make one last run to that super bowl with drew Brees. And so I'm looking for a situation in 2021 where we're like the Colts. And we'll say we're the seven seed and we go toe to toe with the two seed. Let's say it's the Rams this upcoming season. And if you're selling that pitch of look, Hey man, we're going to go out there in year two. Now in 2022, now that we have cap space, we're going to go out there and buy this defense and find all the pieces that we need to go from a seven seed in 2021 to a two seed in 2022, where we're going to legitimately have this window over the next, you know, two, three, however many years until Matt Ryan is 40 to win a Super Bowl. I look, I'll buy that. I'm willing to buy that. All day, if that's what you're selling, because in year one, we will have a situation where Arthur Smith and Dean Pease have proven that they can do more with less. Now let's actually give them the premium groceries, right? That top end, that high, that top shelf groceries so that they can go out there and, and cook up that, you know, five-star restaurant meal or whatever the case may be, because they were able to make the sort of the bargain bin stuff that we're dealing with this year into make it seem like that was a premium gourmet meal. But my point is 
that's that sales pitch becomes a lot harder to sell if you're coming off a seven or eight win season. I know people are saying like, okay, what's the big difference between winning seven or eight games this year versus in the scenario that you're laying out, Aaron, where there are 17, they win nine or 10 games. That's a couple of games winning here or there. But for me, part of that reason why I don't feel like that's an insignificant number, because I look, I'm one of those people that looks back at that 2020 team for the Falcons and says, Hey, if they had competent coaching, they should have been a seven or eight win team. And that team had a much tougher schedule than what Arthur Smith and company is facing this year. You go back to Dan Quinn's first year in Atlanta. Now for me personally, I predicted that 2014 team, that final year under Mike Smith to go eight and eight, they went six and 10. So Dan Quinn comes in here, they go eight and eight. They basically deliver on the promise that that previous team should have been. Then in year two under Dan Quinn, they make that big jump and become a Super Bowl contender. And for me, if they don't show more progress in year one, it puts more pressure on them to show that progress in year two. And I'm not saying that they have to basically win a Super Bowl in year two and do what Dan Quinn didn't do. But at the end of the year, you have to feel like we're on the cusp. And so that's the point I'm trying to sit here and say is like the more progress you can show, like if, if the baseline for what competent coaching is going to be is like an eight win team this upcoming season, you got to show progress beyond that and be that nine or 10 win team, which then I think alleviates some pressure, some pressure that you don't have to necessarily make that massive leap in year two, like we saw with Dan Quinn to live up to expectation, because we can't go into a situation in 2023 where we have a 38 year old Matt Ryan at that point in time. And we're not feeling like we're on the cusp of winning a Super Bowl. because I can only, I can't speak for everybody, but I know for me, I'm going to sit there and say like, what's the point of all this? If we're not a team that's going to be winning a Super Bowl. And I know there's going to be a lot of people joining me in that chorus. Now, I'm sure some of you are like, okay, Aaron, but what does this, any of this have to do with losing Julio Jones? This is a completely separate issue. You yourself have said, you know, for months now that you thought 2021 was going to be the last year of Julio Jones anyway. So who cares? Well, again, I think being that nine or 10 win team and going and being that seven seed or whatever, and going toe to toe with that two seed is much likelier to happen if you have Julio Jones on the team. And if you're able to pull that off, even if you do decide to let go Julio Jones, as I've been predicting for you know five or six months now, next offseason, it becomes a much easier pill to swallow saying that, okay, now we have Kyle Pitts. He's gotten his feet wet in year one. And that year two jump, that year one to year two jump is much more likely to be that sort of elite tight end that we're talking about. He has to kind of be coming out of the gates. It's much more likely that he's going to be that guy in year two than he is year one. And so that's going to alleviate some of the pressure of filling Julio Jones's shoes. Then also on top of that, you have the cap space, right? Where you can sit there and go out there and get a Will Fuller, or you can draft a similar explosive type of outside playmaker that can be the third playmaker in this passing attack. If Matt Ryan is coming off an MVP, Josh Allen, Drew Brees S type of season, that expenditure makes a lot more sense. That becomes a much easier sales pitch. If Matt Ryan is a top five or top seven quarterback this upcoming season versus if he's like the 12th or 14th best quarterback in the league this year. Next offseason, when you're going to be forced to restructure Matt Ryan's contract and you're going to still be paying him $30 million with 14, 15% of your salary cap next year, that becomes a lot more palatable if Matt Ryan is coming off an MVP type of season or is he looking like an MVP type of candidate based off of the season that he has had. So the better Matt Ryan plays in 2021, the better the outlook is in 2022 is the point I'm trying to make. 
And so my point is that if you don't get that in 2021, if you don't get Matt Ryan playing at that level, then you have to get that in 2022. And that puts more pressure on Matt Ryan to have this MVP type of season in 2022, because you're not going to be paying a 38 year old quarterback, $30 million come 2023 to basically be an also ran. And that's essentially the lesson that we should have learned from what the Chargers did back when they hired Anthony Lynn and passed on Patrick Mahomes, passed on Deshaun Watson in 2017. It was all well and good in 2018 when the, the Chargers were, you know, a playoff team and, and going toe to toe with the Patriots in the second round of the playoffs. But then the following years when things faltered a little bit, everything went off the tracks. And again, I'm not trying to sit here and say it's all going to come crashing down for the Falcons. What I'm sitting here saying is that I'm not willing to sit here and make the bet that it's all going to go right for the Falcons. And I'd be much more willing to make that bet a year from now or, you know, nine months from now, if they're coming off a winning season. And so it, to me, it is in their best interest to have that winning season. And so that to me is why the pressure is all on Arthur Smith. Now, when it comes to Terry Fontenot, I'm in wait and see mode. I've been in wait and see mode with Terry Fontenot. To me, this upcoming season and their success is on Arthur Smith and this coaching staff to get the maximum out of this roster. And to me, that is having a playoff caliber season and having a winning season. Now, what I, where I want to judge Terry Fontenot is I want to see what happens if and when the Falcons have that salary cap space next year, who he signs, who he drafts, and how he shores up some of the problem areas that will inevitably come and show this upcoming season on the roster before I start giving Terry Fontenot high grades that I continually see everybody else give him this offseason. When I've said, basically, if you're asking me for what letter grade I give Terry Fontenot, it's an I for incomplete because I just don't think he's really done enough to really say that he's doing a good job or not. To me, it's all neutral at this point in time. So this is not about me, you know, being butthurt about the Falcons passing on a quarterback. I have no problem with the Falcons going into a quote unquote reload with Matt Ryan, but you have to get results. Guys, we look at the situation. We compared it in the past to the situation with the chiefs when they hired Andy Reid and they went out and acquired Alex Smith. And they had four years of Alex Smith before they decided to make the big splash move to trade up to Patrick Mahomes. And if that's the situation that the Falcons find themselves in, that's fine, guys. But the Chiefs got results. They did not have any losing seasons in under Alex Smith. And the year prior to them making that big move, they were the two seed in the playoffs. And those Chiefs teams had top 10 defenses. We forget that now because of how much of an offensive juggernaut that they've become in the last couple of years with Patrick Mahomes. But they were a team that relied heavily on that defense. And the point I'm trying to get across is, like, you got to be top 10. You got to be elite at something, guys. And this tirade is brought to you by basically, hey, I don't think their chances of being elite got better. By trading away Julio Jones. Now, I know a lot of people are still like, I'm tired of talking about the offense, Aaron. Let's talk about this defense. And I'm like, I'm tired of talking about defense, guys. You guys have been telling me for five, six years that this defense is going to come together because we got a new defensive play caller and we're going to change up our schemes. And I'm sitting here saying, like, how are you guys still getting away selling this BS to everybody? Right? Everybody keeps talking about this. And I'm sitting here saying, like, again, I don't think the defense is going to be terrible. If we want to have a conversation, we can have a conversation about whether or not this defense has the capability of being average, but you don't build successful teams having average defense, right? In an in a av- above average offense, you got to, in today's NFL, you got to be great at something, right? And if you're not going to be able to pull that off in 2021, guys, you got to be able to pull that off in 2022. And whether that's the offense, whether that's the defense, I don't really care, but you got to give me something in the next two years that says we're an elite team at something. Otherwise this whole experiment of win now, all in reload, whatever you want to call it, it's to me is potentially going to go up in smoke. 
And so ultimately this boils down to like my perspective on this is because like, you know, as a guy that watches film a lot, you know, I believe a lot of it, you know, success in this league is, is talent coaching this, the, the endless debate. I think talent is a bit important part of it, but it's a balance between the two, right? There's talent and there's coaching, not just purely talent. It's not just purely coaching, right? But you have to have the balance between the two. And to me, the Falcons suffered a huge talent loss, a two, huge hit to their talent by losing Julio Jones. And now that, again, going back to the narrow bullseye situation, now that puts even more pressure on the coaching to make up for that. Now, I know a lot of people are going to sit here and say, well, Aaron, you know, what could they do? It's not like they chose to trade Julio Jones. He wanted out. They had to do it. What else could they have done? And I, I say, you know, if you say so, <laughs> you know, I, I don't necessarily buy that narrative that their, their hand was forced. I, I just don't think that's true at all. And we may wind up having a guest in the near future that will either support or deny that case. Uh, but we'll, we'll, that's where I'll leave it, guys. To me, it's just like, it's not to sit here and say this all going to be coming down. You know, I think there's a real chance that six months from now, you know, we're coming off a week 13 win against the Buccaneers and we're eight and four at that point or something like that. But I think there's just as much chance that, you know, we could be four and eight at that same time. Um, and so to me, the question is going to be, is this team going to live up to that? Right. And again, it's not, the, again, I'm not going to sit here and go, oh, you know, like if they're, if, if Arthur Smith is legit, is legit. And I really hope that he is, guys. I really hope that he is. I really hope that six months from now, I'm going to be saying, man, Arthur Smith, he's about to win coach of the year. This offense is cooking. This is all this thing. And he's everything that we wanted him to be. I really hope for that, guys. Absolutely, I do. But I remain a lot more skeptical that we're going to see that outcome today than I was two months ago. I'm not going to sit here and lie to you and blow smoke up your butt and tell you, oh, it's all going to be just fine just because that's the thing that you want to hear. So for me, that's, that's where I, I come in on this and that's where I'll leave it on today's episode. We got more content coming up tomorrow. We're going to talk a little bit more about what type of expectations we can have for Kyle Pitts uh, going into the season, getting some fantasy advice from Hayden Winks of underdog fantasy on tomorrow's episode. But before we get into that, guys, I do want to let you guys know that while I have you covered on all things Falcons, who's got you covered for the West of sports. Of course, there's a lot going on, whether it's NBA, NHL playoffs, you know, you got boxing matches, you got racing, all these various things going on currently. And of course, Peter Bukowski has you covered now on all those things on the locked on today podcast. It's all the sports news that you need every morning in under 20 minutes. Subscribe to the locked on today podcast on an Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. So guys, if you want to provide feedback on anything I've said on today's episode, uh, you can do so by hitting me up on Twitter at Locked On Falcons, on Facebook at Locked On Falcons, or you can send an email to lockdownfalcons at mail.com. Appreciate it, guys. Till then.